Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening and welcome to the TTM Sports Show. Uh, my name is James Hounsell. Uh, my name is James Harrison. And we're delighted to be joined tonight on episode 35 with sports journalist and uh, broadcaster Graham Lloyd. Graham, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks James. And hello to you both, the two Jameses. Yeah, always nice and easy like that. Any guests we have on the show, uh, the fact that we're both called James is a real... Uh, is a real benefit for us. Now, uh, we're, we're very pleased to be joined by you. We don't always get, uh, get joined by somebody on the TTM Sports Show. Sometimes it's just me and James rambling away. So yeah. certainly for our listeners, a, a different voice for once can never be a bad thing. I'm happy to ramble along with you both. <laughs> Excellent. That's what, that's what we need. That's what we need. So firstly, then, we just, um, just for the listeners that don't know, obviously, Graham, you've just been... Um, doing a, a gig in our hometown of yeah, Froome in Somerset. Yeah, this Friday coming. Oh, is this Friday coming? Sorry, I do apologise. It's part of the Froome Festival down here. So it was only right that the that the two men behind Froome's premier sports radio show get to have a chat with yourself as well. So, Graham, just quickly, briefly, what what's the, what's the show and uh, what's it about? Well, it's called A Load of Old Balls, and basically it's about a load of bollocks. It's about all the bollocks <laughs> and the complete rubbish and, frankly, uh, the absolute cobblers that a lot of people in football talk about football. And the theme of my talk is basically where have all the characters gone? Because um, I'm a lot older than you two, uh, and I've been in football for about 40 years, and I'm missing the, the characters of old. Um Players like George Best, Rodney Marsh, um, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Wayne Rooney, David Beckham, and then managers like uh, Sven-Joran Eriksson, Bill Shankly, and Brian Clough. And I, I think there's a real dearth of them in the modern game. And it just struck me that it would be nice to have a nostalgic look back at uh, some of the people who lit up the people's game and made it such fun back in the day. Well, oh, that sounds, can, sounds great. Yeah, um, I was just going to say, do you think, uh, Graham? Sorry, James, cut you up there. Do you think, Graham, that these days um, we talk about players of that sort of uh, managers like that? Do you think there's a negative um, attached to those sort of players? Now, the first one that comes to mind, probably the most recent one we've had, might be somebody like a Mario Balotelli. Um, 
in terms of a maverick. Do you think that there's that they're looked at in maybe in a more negative way these days? I think they are, but they also entertain people. And that's what's missing at the moment, in my view, mm. that there are no characters. There are no, as you call them, mavericks. There are no people who you actually uh, like to see play and like to hear what they've got to say and basically like to be entertained by them. And I think one of the problems is, boys, is that Football is now so much more of a business than a sport. It's become big business and the players have got to keep fit. They've got to keep their noses clean. The managers are always watching what they're saying and therefore it's not as entertaining. But then you've got to say, well, do you want to have a winning team like hopefully we've got with England or do you want to have a team full of players like Paul Gascoigne that never wins anything? Mm. Yeah, it's a fine balance. It's a, it's a very, very big fine balance. First and most foremost, I'll, I'll be present at your show on Friday uh, for the people of Froome. Anybody interested in football, football nostalgia, exactly what Graham said. If you like those sort of things, this show is for you. Um, to get tickets, they're available all across the Froome Festival website and pages through Froome FM, all over the show. So it's really important that you get yourself down there, first of all. And secondly, uh, one of the biggest football characters that I know and loved was Joey Barton. Um, uh, again, when I played football, I can see a lot of similarities with myself and him. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's against you, you hate him. But again, you want to listen to what this guy's got to say. You know, took on Zlatan in the heat of Marseille down in the southern France. And just touching on the way football is these days. Well, the seeds were sown in 1992. A whole new ball game by Greg Dyke down there in the Savoy Hotel with the deal with ITV. If you know, you know. Um, that's where it changed, really. Football characters are what make this game special. But you're you're right in what you're saying. It is about money. It is about big business. And none further more so was that evident and apparent in the Super League breakaway, which nearly happened last week. I mean, what were your views, Graham, on that? My views were simply that it was misguided. It was uh, created by greed. I've never known such greed like it. But in the end, it was a victory for supporters. You know, the fans actually rose up and said, not on our watch, not with our club. And it's been humiliating. I hope it's the end of it. I'm not sure it will be. But that just illustrated that without the fans, football is nothing. And we found that out during the last year or so. Um, I did one or two commentaries for Stoke City about a year ago in July 2020 behind closed doors. And it was one of the grimmest uh, experiences of my life. Uh, what's great now is that they're coming back. Um, and that's one of the themes in the show that I'm doing at the Masonic Hall in Froome at 8.30 on Friday, the 9th of July. It's basically looking at some of the chants uh, and and insults that um, supporters hurl at footballers. And I'm, I've got one song called Who Ate All the Pies? Oh, which, yeah, is classic. Based, which is based on... Um, knees up mother brown the old music hall song and and the chorus which i'm 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 going to invite the audience to sing along with is who ate all the pies the burgers and the fries you fat bastard you fat bastard you ate all the pies now the problem is both of you both james you'll know that there are very few fat footballers in football at the moment they're very excuse the pun thin on the ground so what mm. i've had to do i've had to go back in time to a guy called Willie fook uh jan mulby no um, Mickey Quint, not yeah. <laughs> that's uh, he's a good one. Uh, Jan Mulby, um, John Mickey Parkin, Quint, Thomas Brolin, John Parkin. Yeah. He's there. Uh, Lee Trundle of Swansea, and of yeah, course, yeah. 
uh, Paul Gascon himself, because at the moment, I mean, not, I'm not saying there aren't any characters in the modern game. I mean, when Jack Grealish gets the ball, we get off out of our seats. When Roy Keane says something on ITV, you listen because the guy is knowledgeable, he's honest. And then you have managers. I don't think there are too many uh, character managers left. Perhaps the only one I can think of is Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. You know, a great guy, full of enthusiasm, full of little idiosyncrasies. But by and large, the Mavericks are missing from the modern game. And so on Friday night in Froome, it's going to be a nostalgic trip down memory lane. And... I hope people will come along. I have written a couple of things. I've got to be honest, lads. The one thing that's um, busying me at the moment is <sighs> when I looked at Gareth Southgate, I thought there's nothing I can really satirise here. He's such a great guy. He's such yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a decent, thoroughly decent individual. And then I thought I can't do a show two days before what we hope will be England playing in a major final uh, without mentioning him. And I'm actually writing now a little poem about Gareth Southgate, talking what a great guy he is and the way that he's brought the supporters and the team all together. I think he's done a fantastic job. But frankly, you can't take the Michael out of him because he's such a well he's such a decent guy. Well, back in ninety six, after after he after he had the issues with, with that penalty where he said his own mother told him, Why didn't you just hit it, son? If I remember as a young eight year old boy reading the the papers back then but also, he had the, the, the Pizza Hut advert, as I, as I just mentioned as well, with a paper bag yeah. over his head. So he does show a sense of humour. But the BBC montage, um, if you watch the, the game last, last, you know, against Ukraine on Saturday night, there was a montage. Gary, it cuts to Gary Lineker and he goes, cue the montage. In it comes straight away. And it shows the history and the story. And I felt myself, like, quietly loving this guy in a sporting sense when you, you you want him to do well because you never see him in any controversies you never see no. yes it was the Trent Alexander-Arnold as a Liverpool fan myself I, I was perplexed but he doesn't pander to the media and and if he gets a if he gets a tactical nouse in his mind that he wants to go through with he will do it um I, I i can't fault him so far the one question is if we would have went out to germany i think questions would have been raised about the style of play because through the first couple of games looking back and i and i will be honest and it may be controversial but i thought it was slow and lethargic however holding my hands up i can't complain i'm an england fan and i'm in the semi-final of european championships and we now look to have got it right were we slowing starting slowly to then gradually build up to a peak as we as we enter the final furlongs of this championship for me i think he's done a great job and i think he needs to see us through at least to the end of next year's world cup where greg dyke's plan in 2010 after the world cup in in south africa after we got beat by germany he said we're putting a plan in place to win the qatar world cup in 2022 well quite frankly he got laughed at well you can turn around and say well they're not laughing now are they yeah. I think there's a bit of an unsung hero in this um, England setup as well. Um, Graham Jones has yeah. been brought brought in alongside Gareth, and you had that. Um, obviously, you got Steve Holland, who's his trusted henchman, and Chris Powell as well, who yeah. was very very good at Tottenham towards the back end of the season. Probably very very um, you know experienced pair of hands there with Ryan Mason as the face of it. So, in terms of actual coaching staff as well that he's got with him. I think the addition of Graham Jones has just given us that extra sort of real edge. I know he didn't do very well out on his own when he was at Luton, Graham Jones, but you can't knock his track record and, and his CV. 
Yeah, um, and you have to remember, James, that he worked with Roberto Martinez yeah. with Belgium, and I think he's learned a lot there. Um, mm. Just to give you a, a little flavour of, of this little poem I'm writing, um, it, starts, yeah. it starts like this. That Gareth Southgate, or should it be South Great, is such a nice person, no one dare cast aspersions. He's a leader who leads from thoughts through to deeds. He's the coach with the most who's banished the ghost of Euro 1996 and that penalty miss. He's the man with a plan to unite players and fans. He's truly worked wonders, very few blips and blunders. His young modern team are just living the dream. It's that sort of thing that I want to try and get across. This, you know, this idea that, as I say in the show, we look back at all the managers, Kevin Keegan's, uh, Sven-Joran Eriksson, Capello, uh, Hodgson, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This guy just seems to have got every, virtually everything right. And as you said, one of you said, he doesn't pander to the press and he doesn't pander to public opinion. He has his view. And I believe that when you appoint somebody and they see the players in training all the time and they create a culture, you have to say, we trust this guy. We trust this guy mm. with the players he picks, the formations he follows, let him get on with it. And Thank God they have done that in the sense that we're on the verge of we're on the verge of reaching the final. Absolutely. Just to go into into that poem, I was transfixed. I was waiting for you to say something along the lines of with those sort of tactics, with those sort of tactics, we can't help but love his antics. You know, little things like that that pop out your mind straight away. I love it. And this is the first time I've really been exposed to football poetry. Uh, so for me, I'm really excited uh, about coming down on Friday and, and seeing it for myself. It really, really is going to be something good. And I'm, I'm, I'm staggered as to see why it hasn't been put out there a bit more. You're a, you are a major player uh, within the game. Doing a bit of research into yourself. Anybody who wants to do any journalism or any broadcasting or any sort of podcast needs to do your due diligence and make sure you're credible by doing research. And to see that on instance on Twitter, you're followed by Adrian Durham, for me, speaks volumes. The fact that you've done BBC Match of the Day, you've wrote for 442, you've commentated on live games throughout the world. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you're a class act and um, we're highly honoured to have you onto this show. Now, in terms of the current setup in the Euros, very quickly, I know you're a busy, busy man. What's your take? Um, where do you think this is going? I think it's going to uh, an England-Italy final, and I, I, yeah, wouldn't I, agree. Really, I, I wouldn't really like to say who's going to win that. Um, I have, I, I'm aware of all the hype um, around England, except that it's not hype. I think it's actually uh, they are not over-promising and they are delivering. Um, but Italy do look a very good side, and and they look uh, quick on the break. Um, they're happy defending. We always know that the Italians are good at defending, but they're also very sharp up front. And I can see them beating Spain, and I can see, although I just do not think it's going to be easy against Denmark on Wednesday. I mean, everybody has talked about it, the Ericsson emotion, and that is obviously driving them. But I think you've also got to look at some of the players they've got. But I can't remember his name now. The guy that scored the goal against Wales, he scored two goals against Wales. Casper uh, Dahlberg. That's the man. And and he looks he looks a class act as well. So I think they'll probably win uh, 2-1 um, on Wednesday. And then I wouldn't like to say, but uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, there's been some good football. There's a, In my view, there's been some good, if not excellent, refereeing. And yeah, totally agree. The proper, the proper and proportionate use of VAR. 
And and I just hope that the Premier League can learn from UEFA. And it's not often well, you can say that. No, I agree. We had Mark Holsey on. He's a regular appearance onto our show, Mark Holsey, and he talks about the PGMOL, um, the, the Referees Association there. And I think he wants to head it um, based on based on what he's telling us. But the way that VAR has been deployed in this country, referees are scared to make decisions. They're scared to overturn decisions. I think without the crowds in the ground has made them, yeah, maybe feel a little bit you know, easier. But can you imagine on a Saturday afternoon in a title deciding weekend at Anfield and Salah goes down in the box? That's a very difficult job but that's why they paid the big bucks but you look at the German assistant and officials uh, against England Ukraine on Saturday night in Rome all the build-up throughout the week for people listening to the undertones uh, of this match we would have heard that the referee and all the assistants were German and people were afraid of that but at, and Felix himself the referee had handed out five yellow cards in his previous match beforehand so there was talk should he rest Rice should he rest Phillips should he rest Maguire it was brave by Southgate to put them in but also, I can't fault that referee. I thought he'd done a great job. And I think it's about time we actually speak about it in a positive light rather than banging the doldrums of death onto refereeing decisions, to be fair. Um, but Mike, also, yeah. though, um, Michael Oliver's refereed... Um, did he referee the Denmark game at the weekend? He sent someone he off, said, or he? He might have even refereed the Italy-Belgium game. But whichever game it was, it, it, he looked like a completely different referee. You know, I know he's one of our better ones. Now, I've got my theory on refereeing. And it's it's not going to be a popular one. It's probably probably very very um, you know unfair, but we've got the best league in the world. We've got the most money of any footballing league in the world. We sign all the best players from all the other countries. Why don't we just sign all the best refs? Well, there was talk um, a fair few years ago that Kalina would have liked to have made uh, the move over mm. to the Premier League. Yeah. And uh, could you imagine that stare down between, uh, you know, a Patrick Vieira and Kalina at Highbury on a cold Saturday evening with the rain lashing down with Roy Keane in the background? That would have been box office. Talking about Mavericks and talking about setting the scene in the wonderful way that we love football to be watched and viewed that would have been box office alone however i think um in the italian leagues and around europe as soon as referees hit a certain age they can't continue anymore which is a shame um but yeah i mean graham um thank you ever so much uh for joining us again friday night at the masonic hall 8 30 it is time to come down and if you will love football you simply have to be there there's no excuse um it's really important that you are there uh great yeah, i just like to say one thing james it's not only it's not only football the majority of the show probably 40 percent is football but there's also 10 percent on cricket and 10 percent on politics and when i say cricket um I have proved that the world's most famous cricket ball hit by Gary Sobers uh, more yeah, than yeah. 50 years ago uh, is a fake because it's the wrong make. Um, it was made, the, the one that was sold was made by Duke and Son Nottingham. The one that was bowled by Malcolm Nash to Gary Sobers in Swansea in 1968 was made by Stuart Surridge. The ball is a fake. It sold for £26,400. And I have written two books, one on the actual six sixes itself and the other one proving that the ball that was sold is a fake and uh, so I, i've got a couple of poems about that and i've also been writing some political stuff recently because mm -hmm. of the the way that the uk government has been handling the the pandemic and um, i've written one uh, one little poem called political football where i've taken the phrases like you don't know what you're doing and you're not fit to wear the shirt um and i've actually 
transferred them from the football arena to the political arena because uh, I must admit I'm very very depressed at the direction this country is heading so it's a mixture of things it's mainly football there's a bit of cricket and there's a bit of politics I think it sounds uh, it sounds fantastic that story again um, you know doing the research into yourself Graham looking at that I, I briefly had a quick look at at the text on that book and uh, the story got me i mean you, you traveled a long long way uh, it took you to india uh, christie's in london wales i mean what did it take you anywhere else i mean how how was that journey for you well you've 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 slightly changed it but then you're you're hoping to be you're hoping to become a journalist so you, you you're actually tweaking bits and pieces there. Right there, James. I didn't go to India, but I did go to London and I did go to Swansea and I did go to Nottingham. And uh, essentially what happened was that um, the ball was sold in 2006 for that £26,400. It went to a guy, a sporting memorabilia collector in India. But two years later, you remember that the world financial crash happened. Mm. The world financial crash happened and he couldn't... he couldn't afford to pay the import tax on the ball, which he'd bought. So it stayed in unclaimed property for another 18 months, and it was sold via an online auction to another Indian. And that's where the ball is now. It's somewhere in India. And I never went to India, but I did have a really good time. It took me 18 months. It became a little bit of an obsession, but I was determined to get to the truth, and I did get to the truth in the end. The sad thing is that Christie's, the world's most famous auctioneers, will not acknowledge that they made a mistake. And everybody connected with it, you read the book, you read all the publicity, everybody knows the ball is a fake because it's the wrong make. But Christie's, for, I think, reputational reasons, won't admit it. But it's as clear as... um, Do we know where the real ball is? No, what happened, James, was that uh, Gary Sobers took the ball back from Swansea to Nottingham in his cricket bag and he wanted to give it to a friend. I think it's a simple thing. He put his hand into his cricket bag and brought out the wrong ball. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his, club, his county club were using Duke and Sons and Glamorgan were about the only side in those days using Stuart Surridge, and he just brought out a Duke and Son. And so suddenly the 6 sixes ball took on a life of its own and the the trouble was, Sobers was asked in 2006, is this the ball? It was given to him and he looked at it and he said, yeah, fine. And he signed a certificate of provenance. And that right. certificate of provenance actually persuaded somebody to part with £26,400, even though it was the wrong ball. It's a wow. staggering story. It's, <laughs> it's the most pleasing thing that I've done in my career. And... Um, I'm just pleased that it's all out in the open. I have, though, had to um, call a halt to my campaign to actually get Christie's uh, to admit it. Because as you'll find in your lives, you two boys, there comes a point when you you can bang your head against a a brick wall and it starts to hurt. And I just don't I've, I've spent 10 years working on this project. I've written two books. I've written loads of articles. But in the end, Christie's refused to engage with me. They they refuse to engage with the truth and they refuse to engage with the facts. And if they do that, there's nothing else you can do. No, and what they're also doing is robbing the sports fans of potential 
greatness in the palm of someone's hand. They're not only parting with their own cash, but for people who love sport, you want the original. It's like buying a Pelé shirt from that World Cup final in Sweden, only to find out it was a training shirt. It would devastate yep. you. I get it. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Graham, um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. I will say it on air, and I will say it on the podcast. When I complete my first draft of Super Depor, Deportivo La Coruña's rise and most famous fall from the pinnacle of European football, I will send it to you, and I hope you'll read it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, for the moment, I'm writing it for me to distribute to Kit Magazine, who I am uh, talking to, to potentially start writing for them. But you have to start somewhere, and that's you the do. important bit for me. And uh, I've gone right in at the deep end. And then also Luke Shaw's redemption. I've called it the Shaw Flank Redemption, which will be an article on I Luke think... Shaw's comeback from the uh, absolute doldrums of Mourinho's management to the pinnacle of football setting up Harry Kane. So that's another one in the works too. But Graham, um, top guy. Hey. That's a very good title. And, and what I found in my career is getting a good title is really good. Just a final point. You asked me uh, how I got into broadcasting. I won't go yeah. into that. How you get into broadcasting these days is you can do a degree. You can try and get work, work experience. But the most important thing is what you two guys have got in spades. And that's enthusiasm. Show mm. enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic. Love something and really become almost obsessive about it. Um, and then you will you will make it. Uh, trust me, I'm a journalist. Oh, I, I trust you ex explicitly 100%. Uh, top quality guy, ladies and gentlemen, that was Graham Lloyd. Remember, again, Friday, Masonic Hall, Froome. It's time to get down there and see his show at 8.30. Network.